On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Colin McLaughlin, who's the CEO of Dubai Duty Free and the Executive Vice Chairman of that body as well, uh, spoke to me last week. He was in Ireland to attend uh, the uh, Irish Derby, which of course is sponsored by Dubai Duty Free. And he spoke to him uh, last Sunday, just but after we got off air last week. And I started by asking him to explain exactly how he managed to end up uh, working there and how much uh, life has changed in the time that he's been there. Yeah, the, the, the duty-free industry has changed considerably, of course, mostly because of air traffic and travel through airplanes everywhere. In the, When the duty-free started at Shannon Airport in 1947, the business that year was 10,000 US dollars. And the duty-free industry around the world has grown. And in 2019, around the world, the business was 76 billion US dollars. So the change has been mm. dramatic all over the place. Talk to me about your journey into it then. You started working in, in Shannon in, uh, was it the late 1960s? How did you end up there? I ended up there. I was living in London. I, was, I had done a training period with Woolworths Department Store. I was, at that stage, the Deputy General Manager of Woolworths in Oxford Street, which was the biggest Woolworths in the UK at that time. Um, I was on holiday at home in Ireland. I saw a job advertised at Shannon Airport in the duty-free industry. I had no idea what it meant. I went and had an interview at Shannon. I was offered a job there as the Assistant Manager of the duty-free. I decided to go back home and take the job, and that's what I did. And I therefore started working at Shannon Airport. Um, I was appointed on the 1st of June, 1969. And that was actually a holiday. So I started working there on the 2nd of June, 1969. And um, I've been stuck in the duty-free business ever since, which adds up to 54 years. Wow. Uh, It it is some innings. Try to paint a picture for me about what it's like when you start in there, because people will have their their ideas now of what duty-frees are like with all of the different concessions and the amount of different fragrances and drink and luxury goods and all the rest that you can buy there. What exactly does duty-free look like in Shannon in 1969? Well, in 1969, there were no such thing that time as concessionaires. And um, the duty-free at Shannon was run by a company in Shannon called Sales and Catering, um, and it had been founded by Dr. Brendan O'Regan. Um, the duty-free at Shannon was in all in the same lounge as the departure lounge. It had a bar and restaurant, and the surrounding that was the duty-free. And a lot of the products were the same as you'd have now. There was perfume and cosmetics, there was menswear, ladies' wear, and a very big display at that time of crystal, which included, of course, Waterford Crystal. Mm. Um, there was a food shop, um, which just sold Irish food, if you like. Now, these are all quite small. Um, the, to- the total area might have been 10,000 square feet or something like that. And there was about, there was about 50 or 60 staff. Which is obviously pretty extensive when you when you think about it in, in relative terms. But again, I'm just trying to bring listeners back to a time where there wasn't a duty-free in basically every airport that they've ever set foot in. And, and I'm wondering, did the fact that Shannon had this facility, was it a, a, a literal attraction for people? Were people inclined to go and fly from Shannon or through Shannon simply because this was there when the same facility didn't exist anywhere else? Well, we think yes. And of course, it had a very big appeal for American customers, because they could go back home, they were on vacation, wherever, they could go back home, 
and um, by in Shannon Airport, and they had an allowance into America uh, that they didn't have to pay duty or tax or whatever. And even at that, in those early days, Shannon Airport, you sell cars to Americans. There were Americans in, on, um, in military service in various parts of the world. And there was an agreement in America that if they had been in military service, they could buy a motor car and take it back to America free of duty. It was a concession they had. Yeah. And of course, that was operated a little bit at Shannon also. <laughs> That's a level um, of duty-free that I don't think people would ever have pictured before. You might think you're going in and you might buy a perfume or a bottle of spirits or something. I don't think people think that you'd go through duty-free and buy yourself a car on the way home. When do Dubai come knocking then? When do they come and approach you and everyone else in Shannon about the idea of moving over there and helping them to replicate the same thing? Yeah, what happened, um, the airport authority at Dubai Airport Somebody had, from an information point of view, somebody had explained to them that the duty-free industry at the airports had started at Shannon Airport. And the airport in Dubai, therefore, made contact with Airinta. And that, that led to meetings and it led to a visit to Shannon of the, the boss of Dubai Airport and the consultant they had from an American company. And out of that visit and out of those discussions, there was a contract signed with the airport authorities in Dubai and Airinta to send a team of people to Dubai to set up a duty-free operation for them. And that started in September 1983. And the the plan was to open it by the end of the year. And the the duty-free at Dubai did open on the 20th of December 1983. The contract with Airinta was a six-month contract And during that time, I was approached to know if I would remain at Dubai and operate the duty-free. I imagine uh, that 40 years ago, if it's anything like the the expansion of Dubai as a city in the last 40 years, I imagine that the airport itself must have been a a relatively modest affair by international standards in, in 1983. So to see it blossom and become as enormous as it must be now must be quite satisfying when you've been there to see the whole journey from day one. Oh, it's very satisfying. In 1984, the traffic through Dubai Airport was 4 million people. And the residence in Dubai at that time was about 250,000. If you go on to 2019, the traffic through Dubai Airport that year was 89 million wow. from the 4 million it started with. And the population of Dubai had grown to be it's now 3.5 million. And of course, along in the interim period in 1985, Emirates Airlines was born, so there was a home airline in Dubai. Mm. And as I said, the traffic in the airport had grown from 4 million to 89 million. And the business in the duty free in Dubai in um, the full year of 1984, Dubai duty free had sales of 72 million dirhams. That equates to 20 million US dollars. So in 1984, the business was sales in the duty free was, as I said, 20 million US dollars. Mm. In 2019, the sales in the duty free was two billion dollars. Wow! <laughs> and um, and the, and this year, the duty free in Dubai has bounced back naturally. There was effects because of COVID, mm. and there was a drop in in staff numbers. There was a drop in the sales, but this year it's bounced back terrific. They're expecting the traffic at Dubai Airport to be about 80, 82 million this year. And the business in the duty-free in Dubai will 
exceed 2019 and our present performance up to the end of June, it looks like it's going to be two and a quarter billion US dollars. It's it just it, it's it, they're enormous figures. Like it's very difficult if you're if you're not in the business world to get your idea around people spending that much money in in a single chain of outlets. But but then again, I look at the list of interests that Dubai Duty Free has. And what people may not realise is that it goes beyond just the retail in the airport, that you've got interests in different hotels and even, for example, in a tennis stadium in Dubai. How does the duty-free come to be such a big player, not alone in retail, but also in real estate? Well, one of our duties, of course, was to promote Dubai. And um, we have done that through various sporting activities and other things. And um, one of the things is we bought a tennis tournament we since upgraded it and bought a bigger tennis tournament. <laughs> the first two years we had our tennis, we just built a scaffolding stadium. And then it was decided that we should build a proper stadium. So we built our own home-built stadium, has a capacity for 5,000 people. And um, out of that has grown that we decided on the same site to build our own hotel. So we have a 294-bedroom hotel. Um, and um, also in the tennis stadium, which we're very pleased about. We have a one of the best Irish pubs <laughs> that you could find. We call it the Irish Village. And um, we built that under one side of the tennis stadium. We have 100 staff employed there. Many of them are Irish. And um, it is a very successful business. And we have it laid out. You didn't ask me this, but we had it designed in Dublin. And it, when you look at the Irish Village, it's in the it's a pretend street. So there's a facade of different shops and different things. And we actually have a pretend post office in the fascia of the Irish village. And we call it the Ballinasloe post office. <laughs> I wonder where they got the choice for village there. And I wonder where they got that from. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Uh, just because you mentioned um, the the, the invest, investment in sport and your responsibility ultimately to try and promote Dubai, uh, I, I won't drag you too much into the weeds of it, but obviously you'll know that there's the big debate right now around um, governments from around the world that are using sport as an effort to try and expand their own reputations and in some instances to try and launder some parts of the reputations that wouldn't go down well in, in the Western world. What What do you make of that whole debate right now? I think that's saying that sport should not be used as nonsense. Um, It has been very successful in many places. And in the case of Dubai Duty Free, it has been extremely successful. And we do it to promote Dubai. We also do it for the goodness of people. Um, But one example of what it's worth would be some years ago, Roger Federer won our tennis championship Mm. for the eighth time. And it was also his 100th victory on the tennis tour. And when we assessed the media coverage that that whole thing gave us, if we were buying or advertising directly, it would have cost 1.3 billion US dollars if we were to buy the media coverage we got out of that tennis tournament. And that runs every year. That's Colin McLaughlin, the Executive Vice Chair and, uh, Chairman and the Chief Executive of Dubai Duty Free, speaking to me last week when he was in Ireland to attend the Dubai Duty Free uh, Irish Derby. Um, interesting answer to the question about sports washing and the, uh, his response being the earned media that you get out of it. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.